It's good to be with you. There's a lot that's already happened uh, here this morning. Um, If you're new here, or this is your first Sunday, or maybe maybe you've only been here a few times, have no fear, I won't be back. Um, you'll, you'll, You'll get to hear likely from Pete. You know, when you bring a friend and, you know, they haven't come to church for a while and you try and bring them and then they come and they're like, oh, it's the guest. <laughs> what a bummer. So I'm genuinely sorry um, This this me. But let me let me say a couple of things quickly uh, that I hope will encourage you. You know, when you're in a church, you don't really know like what what you're necessarily doing week to week, day to day. You know, there's people here doing the coffee and there's people, you know, with kids and there's guys, you know, people playing in the band. And you just kind of do stuff like week to week, day to day. You're just like doing all the random things. And you might lose track of the impact of what you're doing. So just from the outside, let me just tell you a few things about you for a moment. Let me start here. You have been entrusted with phenomenal leaders. Like, these are people that love the Lord. They speak about you and they pray for you when they're not with you. And if you've been around church, like, for a little bit, you know that there's lots of people in ministry that do this for a living Kind of like because it's a, just a professional gig, you know, they're like good at stuff around church and they kind of got hooked into a career path and now they're kind of stuck, you know, like they're not sure they want to sell cars. So they just like, I don't know, I'll keep doing this till it's done. And it's just like any other job, right? There's people in any professional job that that's there. I don't know. Like, I don't know. This is just what I do. And that is a lot of pastors. I just want to commend your pastors and leaders to you to say they are called by God. They love this church, and you have been given a gift in their leadership. And gifts are intended to be steward, stewarded. Like, that means if you've been given a gift, you, you've been entrusted with something that you need to care for. So if you've not said thank you lately to them as leaders and to this staff, uh, you should. Because what's also true is they're not perfect. I'm sure they're screwing up (laughs) continually. That's okay. Just go to another church and it'll be probably worse. So, you know, it's not like you're going to find somewhere perfect. So I'm not saying they're perfect. I am saying you've been given a trust. And so if you've not said thank you lately, you should. And I also think it's important for you to just know about your church. Like, people talk about the life of this church all over uh, this nation and all over the world. So, you know, you're here, like, you know, handing out coffee or, you know, blowing up balloons or whatever. And you might not be aware. There's people all over the world paying attention to what God is doing in this place as models for the way churches are building all over the world. So, um, thank you. 
I want to thank you as a church. Those of you who serve and you give and you pray and you do all the little things, you're not just investing in this place or in this work. You're doing something that is helping people all over the world. So thank you. I, I, I come from the States to say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And continue to invest because I think it's bearing fruit in more places than you realize. And it also means uh, that a lot of eyes are on you, so don't screw up. Because <laughs> it'll be super public and, you know, be awkward and things are hard to recover from. Only partly a joke. So, I'm... <laughs> anyway, uh, so it, it is also Pentecost Sunday. Um, and as I was praying for you, I was reminded of preparing for Pentecost Sunday last year. I was with a group of guys that I play golf with. I like to play golf. Anybody like to play golf? Yeah? You good? What's your handicap? 28. Generous 20. Cool. I'm not going to tell you mine. Uh, and, and I'm playing golf with these guys, and they're a bunch of dudes that have no faith at all, no, no life with Jesus. And so because I'm preparing for Pentecost, I thought, you know, this is a good test market to, like, try out some material. So I just asked him, I said, so like if you, first of all, have you ever had a spiritual experience or an encounter that you can't explain? You're not sure what to do with. And so I'm with these guys and to a person, they described an experience maybe as a child or they had a strange dream one time that sort of always stayed with them. And by the way, that's generally true. Like if you can get to a place of depth with almost anyone You'd be surprised at how many people have had odd experiences that sort of just stay with them. And how in the midst of those, often God is speaking to those people, even if they don't believe in God, or they often are persuaded that there's some kind of evil demons in the world, at least, which then sort of it necessitates there must be some kind of good something as well. So anyway, that, that's just that's more common than you would think. So we're talking that through. So that's interesting. And then I said, so if you were looking for a spiritual experience, where would you go? Like, what would you do? First guy's like, oh, that's obvious. Um, have you heard of ayahuasca? Uh, there's these shamans that you drink this hallucination. Some of you are like, I know exactly what that is. Not sure what that means. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to assume the best about you. I'm going to educate the Christians here for a moment. Uh, I... Ayahuasca is like this hallucinogenic, like, drug. You, you know, it's often, you drink it and you have these, like, out-of-body experiences. Usually people process traumas in it. This guy's like, dude, that's for sure where I would go. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and I'm like, anybody else? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, for me, it's, I go to the mountains. You know, I live in Denver. It's, we get, you know, 315-ish days of full sun a year. So it's a lot like, it's a lot like here, and there's, and there's mountains, and it's beautiful, and he's like, yeah, I mean, if I just go into the mountains, and I'm quiet, and maybe if I'm rock climbing, I'm by myself, and I 
sense the wind blowing, and I just have a spiritual experience. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, where else? And he's like, oh, man, I, I, there's this person, I, they do tarot cards, and it's wild, man. Like, they dial into something I'm thinking about with tarot cards, and this other guy's well, you know, I like, I have a, you know, I have a crystal on right now, and then, you know, I, I don't talk about it, but, you know, I can send something different when I'm wearing this crystal. This keeps going, and what I was hoping for is somewhere they would say, I go to a church. We did this for like an hour and a half. <laughs> like, and, and I'm becoming increasingly more insecure, you know, as it's going. And finally, you know, because I just can't take it anymore, I'm like, well, would you ever go to a church? And in unison, they're all like, no. <laughs> I'm like, really? And they're like, no. Why not? Well, because that doesn't happen there. That doesn't happen there. I was like, well, it happens, it happens in our church. You're like, really, though? Like, not really, though. I'm like, no, really. And I'm like, but this, I'm, I'm bad at this. You know, I, I, I'm a professional Christian. Like, in the, and I know these guys. Uh, that part was a joke, actually. <laughs> if you didn't see me, you're like, eh, that's, that's exactly what you are. Uh, no, it's, it's wrong. It's not true. Though I am paid, so I could say I was confusing. But, um, and it really rattled me because I thought, you know, maybe as little as 50 years ago, if someone was trying to figure out what to do with their life and specifically to engage with God, a church would be at least in the top five places. But I don't know if we're in the top 50 at this point. Uh, which is disheartening. It means that by and large, maybe just by way of the witness we have in the world, the way people experience us, people don't have a sense that like I might bump into the living God if I show up in a church. Um, obviously, different with you. I mean, we had tongues and interpretations and all all the all the fireworks already, um, but I wonder about even your friends and the people you work with, the neighbors that surround you. Um, would they know that this is the kind of place we experience these things? And, of course, what we celebrate today is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. Um, for me, personally, I mean, you don't know me, but for me, I came to know Christ in an encounter in my room at night. I'd never been in church, didn't grow up in church. To this day, as far as I'm aware, there's nobody in my family that are followers of Jesus. But in reading the scriptures, I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. So almost instantly, it was normative to me, right? Like it, it, it just seemed like, well, this is the way God does things. I'm aware, and I'm continually aware as a pastor, that there's many people that have come into a life with Jesus, either in the way that they've grown up, or you know, they've come to know Jesus sometime later in their life, and yet still this kind of conversation around the experiences and the power of the Holy Spirit seem odd or uncomfortable or foreign to them. And there might even be a number of folks in this room this morning that you're like, I... I don't really know what I think about having a life with God. Like, I came because someone promised me lunch after this. That's really about it. I, 
I'm just enduring this. Uh, and it could be that you think you're here because you heard there were, you know, attractive people <laughs> or lunch or something. And actually, God has an appointment with you this morning that you didn't have written down, but he had written down with you. Where by his spirit, he's going to encounter you in a way that will quite literally transform and change the rest of your life. Because that's the kind of thing that happens in rooms like this. So I'd like to look at the passage, say a few things, and then we're going to practice, if that's okay, and ask the Holy Spirit how he would like to engage us. So the text, of course, that has to be read on Pentecost Sunday has the subtitle in Acts chapter 2 of The Holy Spirit Comes at Pentecost. Seems about right. Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Back up. If you're not a Bible scholar, Jesus has died and risen and now ascended. So in Acts 1, he ascends. He like goes away. But the last thing he says to them is, wait for the Holy Spirit and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses. So that kind of command we're seeing happening here in Acts 2. They're waiting. They're together. They're praying. They're seeking God. He's said, wait for the Holy Spirit. They're like, okay, let's do that. That's what we see. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? Now, that might not make sense on why they would say that, but there's a few reasons why they would say that. Um, some would be that Galileans had a very particular accent, like, you know, like I'm American from the U.S., so if you're from the South, we can spot you. <laughs> if you're from the Deep South, we can hardly understand you. If you're from, like, the bayou around Louisiana, I don't know anything you're saying. You're, you're hardly speaking English. Truly. Does anyone know this? If you, you know, I guess you watch TV and stuff. So, so you probably know. Um, you can ask your non-Christian friends uh, about a show called Ozark. And, and they can tell you about the accents and stuff. So, because no one here knows what that is. So they know them enough to know these are like people from the middle of nowhere that have a very strong accent. They don't sound the way they normally sound right now. Next verse. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, um, a whole bunch of people. That goes all the way down and they describe how it's from stinking everywhere. We can hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And this is 
I mean, my favorite part of the text. Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So whatever it is that's happening, they look drunk. They just look drunk. It's odd. It might be, maybe it's the pace of their speech. It might be that they're sort of like swooning around while they're talking. We don't, the test, text doesn't necessarily tell us, but whatever it is, it's weird. And it's weird enough that when Peter begins his speech in a moment, he says, why would you say we're drunk? We're not drunk. It's still the morning. <laughs> not a great argument, Peter. Uh, have you been to the Queen's Jubilee? probably notice people walking here. Okay, so here's, <laughs> here's some interesting things about this text. There's so many interesting things, but let's do them quickly. The first thing that we can notice immediately about the outpouring, the experience of the Holy Spirit is this. It's inherently experiential. It's inherently experiential. This is not like some kind of subtle thing that's sort of happening in the quiet of their heart. There's all the markers of experience, the wind blows. Something is felt. Something is seen. Tongues of fire come to rest upon them. So it's like something's happening where people are seeing something. Something is heard. Some, they say like a wind, something that sounds like a wind. And then of course, what's heard, of course, are the languages. And what's tricky is it says, when the crowd gathered because of the sound, commentators have all kinds of arguments about this. What, which, what is the sound exactly? Is it the wind? So in other words, did they hear that sound of the wind? Did they hear all the just people shouting and sounding drunk? Which sound is the text referring to? We don't, we don't know. But whatever it is, there is something heard, felt, and seen. These are all experiential things. And this would be why when you read about the mentions of the Holy Spirit throughout the entire breadth of the Scriptures, these are the kinds of words that are used. Water, fire, wind. These are inherently experiential. In other words, this is not a cognitive experience. This is not like a set of thoughts you believe or sort of an idea or even necessarily an emotion that bubbles up from within you. There's many people that have been around church where it's just like, I don't know, the, the Holy Spirit seems to be like an aspiration or an emotion. Like I just kind of feel like, that <laughs> must be the Holy Spirit. It could be, but not necessarily, right? It, the, we're not just talking about like sort of a little impression or a little warm fuzzy. Something's happening that their body is experiencing. And I, and I would just like you to consider for a moment that, of course, that's the way it has to be. Like, that makes sense. If you're going to have God of the universe encounter you, something probably should happen to you. Like, like the God that made the cells in your body and the sun, moon, and stars enters into your physical space, it would be strange if something didn't happen. I mean, like, so if I stuck my finger into one of the electric sockets, something should happen to my body because this invisible force known as electricity engages my physical body, my body will react. So much, at least as much then, of course, should when we are sort of invaded by the very presence of God, should things happen. 
And that's what you see throughout the whole of the scriptures, throughout the whole of church history. And this isn't, again, something that's sort of cognitive. It's not, it's not an imagination. It's not an emotion. It's real. It's happening, like the way the electricity happens. Um, and there's, again, all kinds of questions about this text. Like, can they hear them in the other languages because God is enabling the, the crowd by way of some kind of supernatural gift to hear in their own language? Or are the people actually speaking in those languages? If you read commentaries, you're going to see all kinds of arguments about this. I would argue that they're probably speaking in those other languages because it's as though what God is saying is this gift of life that's offered in Jesus is for everybody. And that this gift of life is naturally translated by the Holy Spirit into every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And it's real. It's not aspirational. It's real. Um, I assume many of you have done the Alpha Course. If you've not done the Alpha Course, I don't know why. You should do the Alpha Course. We do the Alpha Course in our church, and I love doing it because it's a great context for people to explore conceptually, but then encounter in reality. And, you know, we're in the Alpha Course, and I've got this guy. Um, I'll call him Alan because I didn't ask permission to tell his story. Uh, Alan is an engineer. He's brilliant. You know, he runs a, an engineering company. You know, he has all the engineering things. You know, you know what I mean. I don't need to go into it. You know, he's very technical. He can be boring. You know what I'm saying. He's brilliant. He's a brilliant guy. Warm and nice guy. Warm guy. So he comes because a friend invites him. And he's like, I kind of like the people. And da, 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 da. So he's like hanging around. We're having meals. We're finally getting to the weekend away. And we're doing the first talk, and he grabs me in the break, because, you know, we've got to be friends. And he says, hey, man, I can, I, you know, I don't know a lot, but I'm a musician. I can tell this is ramping up, like the way it's going. Like, you're going to do something to us. And I just want to tell you straight up, I'm not doing it. Whatever it is, I'm not doing it. And I went, that's totally fine. He goes, okay, I just want to be straight up. I'm not doing it. I go, fine. Great. Glad you're here. Quick talk. So then I get into the next talk, and of course it ends with, you know, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Which, by the way, would be worth pausing right now to ask that question. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So it ends that way. And, you know, I said, if you'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, why don't you stand to your feet, and we'd love to ask God to meet you, and somebody will come and pray with you. Well, Alan's sitting right in the front, and he pops right to his feet. And so I walked over to him. I said, I thought you said you're not going to do it. He was like, you know, I'm already here. I don't know. I can't. I mean, you know, what am, what am I going to do in, the, in between time? I'm just going to watch or like, I've come this far. Might as well. Great. I said, but, you know, you know, I'm thinking to myself, that's not really like a faith claim. not really asking. So I was like, but do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He's like, yeah, I mean, okay. I'm like, no, I don't, I mean, I don't really know how this works entirely, but I think it's got to be a little more than that. I don't know. And he's like, sure. So, you know, 
three or four times. By the end, he's like, if this is true, yes, of course. And I went, great. So I just put my hand on his shoulder. I said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he fell to his knees, and he just started sobbing. And he just cried like a crazy person for like, I don't know, 10 minutes. Enough that I was like, I'm going to give him a little time alone. You know, like, because praying, I just walked away. <laughs> and so we're doing that for a while. And then I'm like, let's have a break. And, you know, he's kind of pulling himself together. And he grabs me in the hallway and he said the most interesting thing to me, and it, and it stayed with me. And I've, had, I've seen people do some version of this a number of times. He goes, Jay, I got to talk to you. I go, okay. He goes, Jay, this is real. And I went, yeah, I know. And he goes, no, 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 not, not like the way, you know, most people think things are real. Like it's, it's actually real. I go, N I know. I mean, what, what do you think I've been doing this whole time? <laughs> you know, he goes, no, 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 it's real. I go, I, I, and you could see that, you know, he, he didn't think I was understanding and maybe I wasn't. And so he ups it. He goes, no, I mean like the way gravity is real. It's like that kind of real. I go, I know. Something before that gave him the impression it was real, like in the way that like maybe it's helpful for you. It's real like in the way that like, I don't know, you, you do this and I do that and whatever. But all of a sudden he's like, no, no, you can't contend with gravity like that. You can't say, like, I don't know, if you think gravity's cool, cool. I don't know if that works for me, man. Like, it doesn't, that doesn't, gravity doesn't work like that. Like, it's not a faith claim. Like, you're not like, ah, I don't know, don't think I'm going to do gravity today. It's not like an essential oil. Too close? Was that too close? Okay, okay, we'll move on. We'll move on. I'm from a hippie place. People are like, Jay, I have a brochure for you. Okay. <laughs> no, thank you. One last question, <laughs> and I'm going to read a text. If the answer is yes, I do want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For some of you, that might be the very first time you're saying yes to that. And I'm going to give you a minute. In a minute, we're going to give you an opportunity to stand before God. And we're going to pray for you. But there's others of you who are like, yeah, I've answered that. The answer is yes. And, Jay, some of the experience you're describing, I've had. Well, let me ask you a second question then is, how full do you want to be? How full do you want to be? Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word here, this being filled language here in Ephesians 5, mirrors the language of Acts in that in Acts, this idea of being filled with the Spirit isn't a one-time experience. It's present active. So, for example, in Acts, Peter is filled five separate times. P 
Peter is filled with the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit. And this should make you ask a set of questions really quickly, like, did he leak? <laughs> right? Like he was filled, and then did he like leak out a little bit? Is it only me? It's only me. Okay, like that's what I would want to ask. Did he leak out and then he had to get like filled again and then he leaks out a little bit and he has to get filled again? I don't know. Maybe. That could be. But I actually think it's because we're misunderstanding how the language works there and what God is inviting people into in being filled with the Spirit. Because the language of being filled with the Spirit is not one time. The verb forms are in the present active form. And for those of you that are geeks with language, that made sense. For normal humans... Present active forms of verbs, specifically in the English language, aren't as common. So, like, for example, if I said, you know, the refrigerator is running, I'm not saying, like, right now. I'm saying it's been running, it is running, and it will be running, right? If I say, my heart is beating, and then I go, there it is again, you'd be like, that's strange. Because what I'm saying is... It was beating, it is beating, and it will be beating, right? In that same sense, this word, and many of the times that the Holy Spirit is referred to in this filling way, it's in present active. So if we were to expand this slightly, it would sound like this. Don't get drunk on wine. Not great for you. Instead, be filled and keep on being filled. In other words... The admonition from the text and what we see evidenced in the scriptures is keep living, remaining, drawing from, walking in, being soaked within the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? That's a different understanding, isn't it? Because what that means then is to keep being filled is a way of living. It's an intentional way of understanding your life with God, where you're walking in and remaining in the presence of God. A.W. Tozer, who's a preacher, asked a really simple question that I think relates directly to this, and it's this. Do you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? See, like when we think about possession, we immediately go to demonic possession, right? Like, you know, the movies where people's heads spin around and they... (laughs) puke out green slime and whatever. It's usually some kind of little doll or a girl, you know, with hair covering her face in a closet or something. So that's immediately where we go. But he says, in the same way we understand demons possessing people, what that would mean is that that demon inhabits their personality, pushes around their desires, kind of messes with their decision-making capacities, right? That's what that means. The person's still responsible for their life. In the same way, do you want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? Because the teaching of the Scriptures would say that the Holy Spirit can fill you in such a way that He begins to shape your personality. He begins to push around how you make decisions. Uh, Quite literally, can take hold of your thinking processes, how your body feels and behaves can be moved by the kind of abiding, to use John 15 language, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, continually yielded to Jesus. And do you want that? Do you want to be full in that manner? And before you just say yes quickly, 
realize that that comes with a cost. Dallas Willard is really good on this. I mean, he says, if I told you that you could take a pill and you wouldn't be angry ever again, ever again, would you take the pill? And you're like, well, of course I would. But then you start thinking, well, I don't know. It's kind of helpful to be angry from time to time. Gets me out of bed. Helps, helps me end arguments. Right? Gives me some energy. I've become familiar with this kind of energy. If I said to you, you know, you could take a pill and you wouldn't have any lust in your heart. Mm, I kind of like walking in a room from time to time being like, that's right, I look good. <laughs> you didn't laugh quite as hard at that one. <laughs> right? Because what's really happening is we have insecurity. And we can find a way to manage that from another source. If I had to manage that just by an experience with God and walking with the Spirit, that would demand different kinds of dependency from me. Frankly, saying that like we want the fruit of the Spirit, for example, means this kind of dependency. Sometimes we teach, and I hope you haven't in this church because I'm about to make you look bad. We teach that like the fruit of the Spirit are things you should try. You should be, have self-control, so let's have self-control. That that's a backward way of understanding the text. The text is saying that as you abide in the Spirit, these, these, these virtues begin to take over you. That's what happens. And frankly, we can tell the sources we're drinking from often by the ways that our life is manifesting. In other words, fruit isn't the kind of thing you try. Like a, like a tree doesn't go, apple. Apple, 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 orange, ah, you know, like, it's either an apple tree and it's an orange tree, number one. Number two, it will produce fruit based on how the soil is tended, if it's watered, if it has the right nutrients. You have besetting sins in your life that aren't going to change by trying to change them. You have fears and anxieties and doubts and jealousy, striving and ambition that just telling yourself, don't be angry, won't work. Saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You know what ends up happening is now you're worrying about why you're worrying. And so like flat reads of the New Testament where you're now just trying to behave, don't work. But being filled and continually being filled with the Spirit. The promise of the Scriptures is simply this. It's by grace that as you're immersed in the love and the presence of God, you might wake up one day and go, man, I, I don't, it's strange. I don't worry the way I used to. I'm not angry, not because I'm trying not to be angry, but because I don't need to control everybody anymore because I trust God. If you have anger, by the way, that's your, that's your issue. You're trying to control everybody. If I can just get everybody to do what I need them to do, my life would be way better. Why does everybody suck? <laughs> don't worry, I will help you suck less. Doesn't work. That's why you got to get angry. Because you've got to power up and make people do what you need them to do. Does this make sense? You worry because you don't trust in a sovereign God that cares for you. 
You lust because you're not convinced that God will provide what you need, and you can't admire beauty without seizing it for your own gain. Do you want me to keep going? This is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. That's what it is. Jesus is saying, you've heard this. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's, that problem's way inside. It's not murder. There's anger in you for a very particular reason. Those things, that stuff that's on the inside changes because you're full of and experiencing the presence of God. Be filled. Do you want to be that full? And he's in what I'm talking right now. The Holy Spirit's speaking to some of you and you're going, I'm so desperate. I didn't know I didn't know that. I, it's strange to me how many people in church are like, I've just been trying so hard. And you should try, but you should be trying to walk in the Spirit, not trying to just morally change yourself. You wouldn't need grace. You wouldn't need Jesus if that's how it worked. Does this make sense? Okay. So when we say, come Holy Spirit, this is what we're saying. I'll give you one tool and we'll be done. There's a guy named Frank Lauerbach. He wrote a book called Letters of a Modern Mystic basically says this. For those of you who are saying, I want to be full all the time. He basically says this. Develop the practice, and he calls it the game of minutes, of being aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit as much as you can throughout your day. Maybe as much as for five seconds of every minute, say, Holy Spirit, are you near, and will you fill me? And he did it where he set a little timer on his phone. And he did this because he was a terrible missionary. He was awful. He went to the Philippines, and people were moving further from God because he was just like a grumpy, horrible person. And he started to realize the problem isn't in the message. The problem's in me. And so he started saying, I wonder if I could spend more of my time and my mind and my life occupied with the Holy Spirit. Would it change things? And it did. All of a sudden, the people started coming up to him saying, you seem different. You used to be sort of annoying and pressurizing, and now you're like kind. And he ended up building a literacy program, uh, changed the lives of hundreds of millions of people, and he led tons of people to Christ. I mean, he ended up being a decent missionary, but a way better human for the sake of the good of people. Isn't that what you need? Isn't that what I need? Okay, so let's wait for one second on the Holy Spirit.